Welcome back to the Big Amateurism Monologues. My name is Richard Ford, and I'm your host. Just a quick reminder that all of my podcast materials can be found at my podcast website. That's bigamateurism.com. I can also be found on all the major third-party podcast directories, Apple, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those places. I also have a blog that you can check out if you want. I haven't written in that since March of 2021 when I switched over to the podcast format, but there's some interesting stuff there, I think. And you can check that out at cagerredux.com. That's C-A-G-E-R-R-E-D-U-X dot com. If you want to reach out to me, just send me an email. And my email address is rich at cagerredux.com. That's R-I-C-H at C-A-G-E-R-R-E-D-U-X dot com. All right. Today is August 23rd, 2022. And I want to pick up on the themes that I've been talking about in the last couple of episodes. And in the last episode, I talked about the five most influential NCAA insiders and why that was the case. And I want to transition into the work of this transformation committee. I've been kind of leading up to this in fits and starts. And I really want to take a look at the work product of this committee. But what I want to talk about today is an issue that came up just last week. And it's really interesting. And I think it's a good case study in how this very small number of in-system decision makers get what they want behind the scenes and how they portray it to the public. And as the title of this episode suggests, we're going to talk about the curious demise of the independent accountability resolution process. And that process was the product of the recommendations of the Commission on College Basketball in 2018. On the backside of these basketball cases and the scandal that came out of the Southern District of New York and all the criminal prosecutions that followed. And the NCAA formed the quote-unquote independent commission on college basketball. It was anything but independent. The members were hand-selected by the NCAA. But despite the lack of independence, one of the four key recommendations that came out of the commission's work, and they were on a short timeline, they were only together for about six months. So the commission was formed in October of 2017, and the report came out in April of 2018. But one of these four key components was a complete overhaul of the infractions and enforcement process for quote-unquote high-stakes cases, just like the cases that spawned the commission's work to begin with. And those were these basketball-related scandals involving alleged corruption and payments to athletes and the involvement of the dreaded athlete agent. And I've talked quite a bit about that. In fact, I did 10 episodes on the NC State case and how it got dragged into those Southern District of New York cases and then was run through the grist mill through the NCAA infractions and enforcement process. And I walk through in great detail the work of the Commission on College Basketball, the recommendations that relate to infractions and enforcement, and the creation at the request of the Commission of this independent accountability resolution process, which was specifically designed to handle these high stakes cases and try to eliminate all of the built-in conflicts of interest that existed in the old NCAA infractions and enforcement process. After that report came out in 2018, the NCAA and Mark Emmert were trumpeting the great work of the commission and that the NCAA was going to follow these recommendations and get them enacted as quickly as possible and all the usual propaganda. And there really wasn't a lot of focus on the work of the independent accountability resolution process. And then on the backside of the summer of 2021, when the NCAA lost its campaign in the Senate to 
eliminate the athletes' rights movement. And uh, then we had the Austin decision, and then on June 30th, this last-minute name, image, and likeness dump at the feet of the institutions. All of a sudden, you had a much different conversation going on among in-system decision-makers in big-time college sports at the regulatory level. And there was this need for a fundamental overhaul of the governance of college sports. And then Bob Gates appears on the scene. He's talking about the need for the NCAA to remain relevant. They were in a battle for relevance. And the only way to do that was to align responsibilities and authorities. It was when Gates was talking about the regulation of college sports on those terms that I really started thinking about the importance of the infractions and enforcement process. Because as I said at the very beginning of my podcast, what's really at issue in all these discussions about the future of college sports is really who gets to decide, who gets to decide what the rules are and what amateurism looks like and what the relationship between the athletes and the institutions is going to look like. Who gets to apply those rules? And more importantly, who gets to enforce those rules? For 70 years, it had been the NCAA National Office and this oppressive infractions and enforcement regime put together by Walter Byers beginning in the early 1950s. So I did a couple episodes on this alignment of authorities and responsibilities. And that framing was really, I think, a smokescreen. And the suggestions that Gates made that the NCAA had substantial responsibilities and limited authorities, nothing could be further from the truth. And I addressed that in episodes 50 and 51. Then in early August of 2021, there were a lot of really important things happening. We had the Baylor decision, which was an exclamation point on the dysfunction in the NCAA infractions and enforcement process and its priorities because that case, which involved some really distressing incidents of sexual violence against women and then essentially a cover-up by Baylor, wasn't really subject to NCAA punishment because the NCAA doesn't bother to legislate in those areas. It only legislates in the areas that go to its primary purposes, and there are two. One is to regulate the labor force, and they do that through amateurism-based compensation limits. The second is to regulate the competitive advantage disadvantage market for the Power Five, and that runs through all these crazy recruiting rules. Those are the only two things NCAA cares about, and all these fluffy principles in its constitution really have no value unless there is active NCAA legislation that allows the NCAA or whoever is going to be the enforcement agency to actually apply and enforce those rules. In episode 52, I talk about that Baylor decision in some detail. Then you also had the release of the Kaplan Gender Equity Report in early August of 2021. The NCAA was just getting beaten up left and right. Then on August 4th, 2021, there was a really interesting press release that was on the NCAA website. Like a lot of these propaganda pieces, the title masks some of the substance of the press release. I'm going to talk about this as I walk through some of these press releases that are relevant to this IARP and its ultimate demise just last week on August 17th. 
But this August 4th, 2021 press release is titled D1 Board Adopts APR Changes for Transfers. And it is in large font and bold letters. And when it appears on the NCAA website, the presentation is just that headline. You have no idea what the substance of the press release is unless you actually go in and not only read it, but read it carefully. So if you're just scrolling through the NCAA NCAA Media Center, and you're just looking at the news of the day or the week or the month or whatever, and you come across this article, you would have absolutely no way of knowing that it had anything to do with the independent accountability resolution process. But it does. And when you actually click on that press release, you see the headline, and then in a much smaller font and without bold headline emphasis, there is the tagline, independent accountability resolution solution process also adjusted. So the beginning of the press release talks about the academic progress rate changes for transfers. And then there's this transition into a heading. They do have a heading here. It says independent accountability resolution process. And the press release says this, the board, this is the, the division one board of directors, this powerful board that's really the most powerful legislative body in the NCAA. The board also approved an immediate change to the independent accountability resolution process made at the recommendation of the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee, the complex case unit will accept the investigative work of the enforcement staff unless the unit can demonstrate a compelling reason why the additional investigation is required. Additionally, the board approved a request to allow case timelines to be developed and published for each case in the independent process. This change will provide transparency and improve credibility. The Oversight Committee, which has expressed concerns about the delay in the resolution of cases referred to the independent process, determined that much of the delay was the result of efforts by the complex case unit to reinvestigate cases that the enforcement staff thoroughly investigated. Accepting the enforcement staff's results will speed the process significantly without compromising the goals of the independent accountability resolution process, committee members think. The changes are effective immediately. And when I saw that, I'm like, wow, that this is a massive red flag. What the hell is going on here? And if you didn't have any familiarity with the NCAA infractions and enforcement process and the work of the Commission on College Basketball, this entry would have virtually no meaning. The way that they characterize it, it makes it sound as if this is just a little adjustment. That's the word they use, an adjustment. And then they talk about this in terms of enhancing transparency and credibility and efficiency. And that could not be further from the truth because what they were doing here was essentially eliminating one of the most important components of this independent accountability resolution process, this complex case unit, which was set up specifically to avoid the NCAA's investigative work in these high stakes cases because the NCAA National Office Enforcement staff couldn't be trusted with these high stakes cases. But the most important problem with this press release is that it suggests that the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee is completely independent of the Division I Board of Directors. And the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee is one of several committees that were put in place when this IARP process became fully operational in August of 2019. So we had the Commission on College Basketball recommendations in April of 2018. Then we had the NCAA adopted 
adopting some of those recommendations in August of 2018, but it wasn't until a year later in August of 2019 that the IARP apparatus was fully in place and you had all these committees in place and you had the teams of external investigators and adjudicators in place. So that was like a new bureaucracy that the NCAA was setting up. And one of the committees was this IARP Oversight Committee. But in this press release, there's just a reference to this Oversight Committee as if it is wholly independent from the rest of the NCAA and is making a recommendation that comes from a place of neutrality. In fact, that committee has five members, and this is the NCAA's decision. The NCAA decided that this was how the IARP was going to be run and how it was going to be regulated. So you have five people on that Oversight Committee, three quote-unquote, independent members of the Board of Governors, and they have no connection to divisional representation or divisional decision-making. That's an association-wide position. The other two and far more important members of that five-person committee are the chair of the Division I Board of Directors and the vice chair of the Division I Board of Directors. And in August of 2021, the chair of the Division I Board of Directors was Jerry Moorhead, president of the University of Georgia in the SEC, also one of the key decision makers on the conference entity, which means he's working very closely with Greg Sankey. And then you have James Harris, who is president of the University of San Diego, also on this IARP oversight committee, in his capacity as the vice chair of the Division I board of directors. And he would go on to become a member of the transformation committee that is chaired by Greg Sankey. So you have this very small group of people influencing this decision, and there is zero suggestion in this press release that the people who made this recommendation were also the people who received it in their capacities as leaders of the Division I Board of Directors. And this is a tactic that the NCAA uses to suggest the appearance of true independence when there is not only zero independence, there's a conflict of interest here. Because you shouldn't be in a decision-making chair where you're making the recommendation wearing one hat and then you switch hats and then you're receiving the recommendation. You're reviewing your own recommendation and adopting it. And there's zero disclosure of that. And that's one of the things we're going to emphasize going through these press releases. And the other point I want to make about that form of misdirection is that some of these committees are so arcane and so deeply buried in the NCAA bureaucracy that even seasoned insiders in the NCAA might not even know that these committees exist, much less who sits on those committees. So when these press releases just spit out some committee like this, there are probably only a very small handful of people who know the existence of the committee and who the important decision makers are on that committee. And I, my guess is if you went to any Power 5 university president or athletics director and you said, name me one person on the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee, you could probably count on one hand the number of correct answers. And that's one of the important purposes that this bureaucracy or any bureaucracy serves to make it almost impossible to figure out how decisions are made, what the interests are of the people who may them and people just submit. They just throw up their hands and say, it's too confusing. I can't figure it all out. So they just accept what is fed to them. And what is fed to the stakeholders through the NCAA 
bureaucracy is just stunning, really. And the other thing I want to point out here too, and this is going to be a theme running through, because the primary objection to this IARP that runs primarily through Greg Sankey, we're going to talk about that in just a second here, is that it is inefficient and it takes too long. It's really the speed of resolution of these cases that's the primary objection here. And I just want to make a couple of observations to nip that in the bud right now. I talked about this in the NC State case, but I want to wrap it up right here because it's so important. The speed of resolution cannot be a legitimate objection to the IA. RP. Whatever you think about the IARP, and I'm not suggesting that the IARP is a wonderful thing. The entire infractions and enforcement process is corrupt top to bottom. But I'm looking at this IARP issue to explain how the decisions are made at the NCAA and how those decisions are almost impossible to see. They talk about transparency in this press release. This is the opposite of transparency. So this IARP didn't come to existence, as I noted earlier, until August of 2019. A case couldn't be moved into that process until August of 2019. Since the apparatus was up and running, there have been only six cases that have been referred to the IARP. And I just want to go through the timeline of these referral dates and the schools that were involved. All six of these cases relate to basketball. Five of the six relate to the same core of facts that came out of the Southern District of New York. And there were, I think, I don't know, 12, 13 cases total that came out of the Southern District of New York. Only five of those have been referred to the IARP. The rest were resolved through the normal Committee on Infractions process. So we had Memphis, the University of Memphis being referred in March of 2020. And that's a case that really is outside of the basketball scandal cases. And that involved James Weissman. So that goes in March of 2020. Then we had NC State referred to the IARP in May, or the IARP accepted the NC State case in May of 2020. Then Kansas is referred in July of 2020. Then we had LSU September of of 2020, Arizona, December of 2020, and Louisville, not until February of 2021. So the longest that any of these IARP cases could have taken was two years. And that is a pretty efficient outcome when you compare how many cases have languished in the old system. And I talked about this Baylor case. The Baylor case is based on facts that go back to 2010. And the NCAA really didn't get involved until 2015. And then you had a decision in 2021, six years. And the suggestion here by the IARP Oversight Committee and the Division I Board of Directors is that the old system is comparatively efficient, and that is simply false. And to prove that up, I just want to take two cases that came out of the same core of facts that led to these prosecutions in New York. You had the Auburn case, and I talked quite a bit about that case in my discussion of the basketball scandal. And that involved our made man, Bruce Pearl, the head coach at Auburn, and then his lead assistant, Chuck 
person. Then you also have this NC State case, which was the only case of these six that have been referred so far that has come to a final conclusion. Both of those cases came from the same core of facts, operated on the same track, essentially, the same timeline. But the Auburn case was in the old system, and the NC State case was in the IARP. The decisions in those cases were released within 10 days of each other. The Auburn case came out on December 10th of 2021. And then the NC State case came out on December 20th of 2021. Now explain to me how the IARP is less efficient from a time standpoint than the old system comparing those two cases. And the answer is you can't because there's no difference. And nobody's looking to challenge this narrative that was spun from the very beginning of the pushback, which is that this is just a horrible process. It's just taken too long. It's dragging the system down. And these cases are quote unquote lingering in this IARP black hole. That was the way that an ESPN writer described this process the day after. I'm going to talk about that article here in just a second. But this is a testament to how once a false narrative is embedded into the public consciousness, it gets repeated again and again and again. And you're going to hear that. When I walk through these press releases heading up to this decision last week to uh, outright eliminate the IARP. But this narrative is now unchallengeable. And it is precisely that type of propaganda technique that Richard Southall and Ellen Strauski described in their 2013 article, Cheering on the Collegiate Model. They discussed through the lens of propaganda studies, this concept of spontaneous consent and how hegemons control the bureaucracies, they control the language, they control the narrative. And once a message has been put into the system through the authority of the hegemon, and then it is ritualistically repeated as revealed truth, it is virtually unchallengeable. And that's exactly how the NCAA operates. And this is a textbook example of that. And it was after reading this press release that I really decided to focus on this NC State case. And I did that those 10 episodes. The first one, episode 53, was titled The Curse of NCAA versus Tarkanian. That relates to that really important Supreme Court case in 1988 that let the NCAA off the hook from providing federal due process protections in its infractions and enforcement work. That's a good episode if you just want to get an overview of the recommendations of the Commission on College Basketball, why and how this IARP was set up, and how the NCAA really picked and chose from the old infractions process and this IARP to really try to stick it to NC State. And I talk about the role of Carol Cartwright, who was the NCAA Infractions and Enforcement Committee member, the old system. She was the committee member who was assigned to oversee all of these basketball-related cases. And it's really, I think, an important case study in the corruption in the NCAA bureaucratic state. But I want to focus just on the death of this IARP, because on August 17th, just last week, we get another misleading press release from the NCAA website. And from the title of that press release, you would never assume that it had anything to do with the IARP. And that press release is going to be the climax of this story of this saga. So I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. But what I want to do is just walk through the history 
of the opposition to this IARP, where it came from, how those concerns that ran through Greg Sankey got normalized into the NCAA decision-making process and governance process, and how all of these built-in conflicts of interest that exist among this very small group of powerful decision-makers in the NCAA express themselves behind the scenes. And it requires a lot of tedious legwork to get to the bottom of how these important decision makers use the Byzantine NCAA bureaucratic state and all of these committees and all of these subcommittees and all of the cross-references among and between committees to create the illusion of broad-based input and discussion. So in those episodes on the NC State case, I talk about the bureaucratic formation of the IARP and all of its component parts. One of the most important pieces of that independent process, which again was a completely separate track for high stakes cases to avoid the old NCAA infractions and enforcement process, but it had an independent investigatory body called the Complex Case Unit that was referred to in this August 4th, 2021 press release. And the Complex Case Unit was designed to act as a substitute for the investigations done at the National Office, which have been the subject of criticism and scrutiny and ridicule going back to the 1950s. And that organization, that arm of the NCAA bureaucratic state operates like a secret government, and it has run roughshod over the due process rights of those subject to its jurisdiction. So this complex case unit was supposed to provide, quote unquote, independent investigatory input in these high stakes cases. And it was that very piece of the IARP regulatory model that the division Vision One Board of Directors in early August of 2021 wanted to essentially shut down. So what they said was, you can't come in and start poking around the work of the National Office Enforcement Staff. We want all this to run through the National Office boys, and we want you to stand down. And that change was effective immediately. And remember, this is an action of the Board of Directors, the Division I Board of Directors. But where does this come from? It comes from Greg Sankey, because Greg Sankey had been critical of that IARP process from the very beginning. And it's important to note that at this time, the Constitution Committee doesn't exist. Its roster was named the following week in August of 2021, and the Transformation Committee doesn't exist. It's not announced until late October of 2021. So Greg Sankey isn't the chairperson of the Transformation Committee. He's not on the Division I Board of Directors. And there's no reference in this press release to Greg Sankey. Greg Sankey's name doesn't come up, but rest assured, Sankey is lurking in the background because this is his pet peeve. This is his thing. And he doesn't like this IARP and he wants it just wiped off the administrative landscape. How do we know that? Well, the following day, August 5th of 2021, we get an article from ESPN. The title of this article is The NCAA to Speed Up Investigation of Major Infractions Cases, Some of Which Have Lingered for Years. So the article says, the NCAA is changing the way it handles major infractions cases being adjudicated by the independent accountability resolution process in an attempt to speed up what has been a protracted process so far. Launched in August of 20. 
2019, the IARP has yet to fully adjudicate a school case. On Wednesday, the Division I Board of Directors approved immediate changes that will allow the IARP's complex case unit to accept the investigative work of the NCAA enforcement staff unless the unit can demonstrate a compelling reason why additional investigation is required. And again, the way he puts that, that it allows the IARP's complex case unit to accept the investigative work. No, they were directed that they had to accept that work. It wasn't a choice. Let's see. And then this thing goes on. The Independent Accountability Oversight Committee recommended the changes according to an NCAA release. Again, no discussion about who the people are on that committee. The people who made the recommendation and the people who accepted the recommendation. And then we finally get down to Sankey's views on all of this. And the article says, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey is among those who have criticized the NCAA for not producing more timely results through the IARP. At SEC Media Days last month, so this puts the Sankey timeline back into July, before there was even any discussion about the constitutional makeover or the transformation committee. Sankey told reporters, those accused of violations deserve a fair and timely outcome, and those who compete against those accused of violations deserve that same fair and timely outcome. But that Sankey narrative got cemented in in August of 2021, and it is now unchallengeable because it has been repeated and reinforced through circular amplification through NCAA in-system decision makers and governing board representatives and the NCAA website and also in the media. Now, I just want to walk through a chronology of some of the important NCAA website statements that, that relate to the work of this transformation committee and the IARP. And the same person authored all of these press releases. That's important to note as well. This is clearly a public relations-oriented dissemination of information, and it runs through the lens of the in-system stakeholder decision makers and serves the purpose of propping up this false narrative that all of these decision-making bodies are operating with complete and total independence from one another. So on October 27th, 2021, we have the announcement that the Board of Directors outlines plan for division. And then the subheadline, transformation committee created to address challenges, opportunities after vote on NCAA constitution. And they talk about the, the committee and they note that Greg Sankey is going to be a co-chair. They haven't announced the roster yet. They do that the next day. But the clear purpose of this transformation committee is to align division one's ongoing work with whatever comes out of this constitution committee and to reinforce the fact that this is a really an independent body that's going to operate and provide independent feedback to the Division I Board of Directors. Then the following day, we get the announcement of the Transformation Committee roster and the subheadline committee will help address challenges, support student athletes. And the announcement comes with some quotes from President Moorhead. He says, the Division I Board of Directors is relying on the Transformation Committee with their collective expertise and broad and diverse experience 
experiences to do the important work that will be brought to the Division I Board of Directors for final consideration. Again, suggesting an arm's length independent relationship and no discussion about the overlap between the members of this transformation committee and then the Division I Board of Directors. Then on January 20th of 2022, on the NCAA website under the name of the same NCAA PR person, we get this. And that's the day that the NCAA ratified the new constitution, the day of the vote of the constitution. And the heading is D1 Board of Directors pauses referrals to independent infractions process. The release says the group also meets with D1 Transformation Committee. So you have the Board of Directors and the Transformation Committee meeting as if they are two truly independent bodies. So then you have this statement and it says the Division One Board of Directors on Thursday temporarily suspended additional referrals to the IARP. The board met as part of the 2022 NCAA convention in Indianapolis. The board's action was recommended by both the Infractions Process Committee and the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee. The referrals are suspended until the Transformation Committee completes its work. But perhaps the most important part of that press release is that it references the Infractions Process Committee. So the board saying, we are relying on the recommendations of these two independent boards, the Infractions Process Committee and the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee. And there's no disclosure of who is on these two committees. And the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee only has five members. And this Infractions Process Committee is supposed to have nine members, but only seven are listed on the NCAA website. Guess who is on the Infractions Process Committee? None other than Greg Sankey. And this is really just a lesson in how easy it is to get these kind of conflicts of interest laundered through your propaganda campaign. And in that August 5th ESPN article, the author refers liberally to the August 4th press release from the NCAA. So you have media outlets taking the false suggestion of true independence among these decision-making boards under the NCAA umbrella, and they just put it out there as if it's revealed truth, not even bothering to go and look at who's sitting on these various boards and these committees. And then we have something else that's relevant on this timeline that's really interesting to me. We're now into 2022. And in April of 2022, the Division I Council tabled almost all of its pending legislation. And remember, even though the Division I Board of Directors created this transformation committee and it reports to the Division I Board of Directors, any legislative changes have to procedurally run through the Division I Council which is this kind of gatekeeping legislative body. And that's the way that the NCAA blesses all of this legislation and creates the illusion that there's truly an independent review. And it goes from these stacked committees to the Division One Council, where you have conflicts from this transformation committee. Shane Lyons is the chair of the Division One Council, and Greg Sankey is sitting on that council too. So there's no real independence here. But the Division One Council is important, at least in terms of creating the impression that this is moved through the ordinary NCAA legislative process. So in April, the Division I Council basically stood down. 
based on feedback from the Transformation Committee and the Division One Board of Directors. And the rationale for that is that the Transformation Committee, its work was going to inform anything that the Division One Council was going to do going forward. So it didn't make any sense for the Division One Council to introduce legislation that could wind up being in conflict with what the Transformation Committee suggested. And then coming up on this August deadline, the self-imposed deadline that the Transformation Committee set from its very inception. We had a series of activity and press releases in June and July of this year, of 2022, suggesting that the Transformation Committee was actually moving forward proposals to the Division I Board and also through the Division I Council. Those related to transfer rules and infractions, primarily. When I go through the work of this Transformation Committee, and I go through meeting by meeting, issue by issue, content area by content area, you see that almost all of the work of this committee lands with transfers and infractions and enforcement. And the way they've characterized that work is misleading. Because when you look at what has actually come out on infractions and enforcement, the recommendations from this transformation committee, they relate to enhancing the enforcement tools available to them. And some of those specific enforcement enhancement tools will come as quite a surprise to the athletes and their families who have been led to believe that these changes to the infractions process will ultimately make the system more fair for the athletes and by association their families. But there's virtually zero discussion about the independent accountability resolution process. In fact, there's no specific reference to that process. There are some generalized discussions about time efficiency and processing these cases, but nothing about the outright elimination of the IARP. And I think the reason for that is that it was a foregone conclusion coming in that the IARP was going to be killed. The question was how they were going to do it procedurally. And that's what we're going to get to here in just a little bit. So you had in June of this year, the D1 Transformation Committee forwards initial recommendations to the D1 board. And then the subtitle, recommendations include changes to transfer rules and infractions process. And it essentially highlights what I just said. When you look at the work of this committee, it lands with transfer rules and infractions. And although you have some vague references to the efficiency of the process, there is zero discussion about the IARP. In fact, in that press release, when they talk about the changes, the specific changes to the infractions process, they include one, incentivizing cooperation of all parties, has nothing to do with the IARP. Two, additional investigative tools, which has nothing to do with the IARP. And three, more flexibility within confidentiality rules. And that's an interesting one. Again, it has nothing to do with the IARP, but it does give the NCAA the ability to silence any institutional critics, and it allows the NCAA to say whatever the hell it wants to publicly about the infractions and enforcement process, which is a substantial extension of the NCAA's previous limitations on even talking about these cases. Again, these three things have nothing to do with enhancing the enforcement and infractions process to make it more fair for athletes and the people affected by the NCAA's infractions decisions. This is about using this transformation committee as an opportunity to bring in some draconian enhanced enforcement tools that fly in the face of fairness. 
and due process. And we'll get to that in other episodes. But again, there's zero discussion about the IARP. Let's see. Then we go to July 1st and the Division One Board of Directors charts a timeline for actions on transformation committee recommendations. And then the tagline under that says, proposed changes for transfer rules and fractions process and student athlete benefits to be voted on in August. So this is kind of setting the stage for this ramp up to this August deadline that the Transformation Committee imposed. And this is a really interesting press release because this is where the Transformation Committee and the Division One Board of Directors start to move the goalposts a little bit here on the timing of the work of this Transformation Committee and the adoption and implementation of its recommendations. So they say that the Division One Board of Directors this week endorsed in concept a set of recommendations forwarded from the Division One Transformation Committee, and it established a process by which recommendation would be voted on for adoption. And they talk about the transfer and fractions and then the quote-unquote decentralization of rules relating to student-athlete benefits. They talk about the infractions process now, not in terms of these enhanced enforcement tools, but in terms of promoting time-efficient outcomes and focusing the time and resources of all involved parties on a modernization set of shared principles and rules and holding accountable those who are directly involved in the rule-breaking while minimizing impact on student-athletes who are not involved. And again, those are so vague, it's hard to know what that means. And then when you go back to the minutes and look at exactly what they've talked about and proposed with specific language, on infractions and enforcement, it has very little to do with any of those things. It's about beefing up their enforcement tools. And then they talk about the transfer environment and all that stuff. And then Jerry Moorhead says this, and he's speaking in his capacity as the chair of the Division One Board of Directors, apparently not as a member of the Transformation Committee. He says the board, the Division One Board, is committed to acting quickly to address the challenges in college sports, and we look forward to receiving additional Transformation Committee recommendations this fall. This fall. And I mentioned in that last episode that in the very last set of minutes made available through this transformation committee, they completely retooled the timeline. And all of a sudden, some of these decisions and some of the work of this transformation committee isn't going to be done in August after all. And we're running out of of August here right now. We're at August 23rd. They're setting the timeline to the end of August on a couple of things, including infractions, and also into October and then November and then January of 2023. So we have a substantial overhaul of the timeline, but all we get is this vague statement saying, we look forward to receiving additional transformation committee recommendations this fall. And then on July 20th, we get the Division I Council stepping in because it now endorses the transformation committee Concepts. Remember, these are concepts now. They're not recommendations. They're not specific suggested rules changes. These are just concepts. And so the subcategory is here is D1 Board of Directors to vote next month. So in August, they're saying we're going to get the Division One Board of Directors to embrace these concepts. So it says, Division One Council on Wednesday endorsed several recommendations intended to better support student-athletes, improve efficiency and timeliness in the infractions process, and improve clarity in the transfer environment. Again, no reference to the IARP 
or eliminating the IARP. And then the release goes on to talk about some of these athlete benefits, which just come on the scene very late in the game here. There was very little discussion about those in terms of the specifics of any benefit enhancement in the Transformation Committee's work. And they talk about some things that athletes might be able to get now without asking for waivers. So this doesn't suggest a meaningful increase in the existence of benefits. It's really the process through which athletes can receive them. And instead of asking for waivers, they now will quote-unquote decentralize that process so that guest conferences or maybe individual schools can provide those benefits without asking for waivers. And then there's a talk about the transfer rules. The important thing here is that there's no discussion about the IARP. We have really a shift in emphasis to these vague athlete benefits. And then they're talking about these at the conceptual level. We don't have actual legislation drafted. We don't have really a substantive framework to adopt formal legislation. And when you go back and look at the minutes and the detail that they went to on some of the infractions items that go to beefing up their enforcement authorities, those are very detailed. And those could be very easily put into active legislation given the specificity of those recommendations. There's nothing else in the discussion about any of the issues the Transformation Committee has been talking about that were addressed to that level of detail. Now, we come to the August 17th, 2022, just last week, the death blow to the IARP. So let me just tell you how this press release is titled. So the title is D1 Council Reviews Transfer Proposals. And that's the bold, large font headline. That's what you see when you go to the NCAA website. That's all you see. So if you just go to the NCAA website, go to Media Center and click on News, and they list all these items, all these press releases, all you're going to see is Division One Council Reviews Transfer Proposals. And you would have no way of knowing from that title that the most important portion of this press release is the death of the IARP. So if you were to click on to that press release, you would see the subheading and it says, group also introduces proposals to change infractions process. And I just want to reemphasize that up to now, in connection with the work of this transformation committee, there's been a lot of discussion about the infractions process. So it doesn't come as news to people who have been following this that the Transformation Committee's work has been devoted in substantial part to changes in the infractions process. But in none of those discussions has there been a reference to the IARP. So the headline has nothing to do with infractions. Then the subheadline talks about the introduction of proposals, not final decisions. So again, reading these two pieces of information, there is no way that you would understand that the Division I Council has just taken action to end the IARP. So it says the Division I Council addressed proposed changes to transfer rules and suggested some adjustments from the package the group initially reviewed this month. The council met virtually Wednesday. And of course, Greg Sankey's got a seat at that table because he is on the Division I Council. And so you read through this press release and it's about two pages long and there's a lot of material here. That's long for these press releases on the NCAA website. And it's talking about transfer. Then the press release turns to infraction. 
actions, and here's what it says. The council also introduced three proposals that would make several changes to the infractions, infractions appeals, and independent accountability resolution processes. A standing committee of the Division I Board of Directors, the Infractions Process Committee, and again, that's the committee that now has only seven members, including Greg Sankey, in collaboration with the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee, which now has only four members. Bob Gates was on that committee. He's gone now. And the chair of the Division I Board of Directors is on that small committee. No mention of those people in explaining the process and the recommendations that led to the elimination of the IARP. We just have these two boards, the Infractions Process Committee and the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee, coming in with their independent recommendations to the Division I Board of Directors and, importantly here, to the Division I Council. The release goes on. The Infractions Process Committee proposals reflect ongoing membership efforts to modernize and enhance the current peer review infractions process, provide greater transparency, expedite case processing, and focus on the most serious NCAA violations. And it's important to note here that when you go to the Transformation Committee's minutes in the meetings where they talk in some detail about infractions and enforcement, they hide behind the Infractions Process Committee. So they say that their discussion about these changes to infractions and enforcement are running through this Infractions Process Committee. And the Transformation Committee's thinking is influenced by the recommendations of this Infractions Process Committee, and then no discussion, zero discussion about the fact that the chair of the Transformation Committee also sits on this very small seven-member Infractions Process Committee. The release goes on to say the IPC, this committee that Greg Sankey's on, determined that discontinuing the independent accountability resolution process combined with implementation of the other proposals would streamline the infractions process and make better use of membership and national office resources. So it's really interesting about the way this press release describes the process through which the IARP has been put to death. It speaks only in terms of the Infractions Process Committee and the Independent Accountability Oversight Committee, not the Transformation Committee. And then after talking about the elimination of the IARP, the press release says that there are additional changes to the infractions and the infractions appeals process. And I just want to point out that those additional changes are very well aligned with what the Transformation Committee has been talking about regarding infractions and enforcement. And none of those have a thing to do with the Independent accountability resolution process. So I guess I should just close this out by saying I'm not making the case for the IARP. I mean, the entire infractions enforcement process is corrupt from top to bottom, every aspect of it. But the elimination of this piece of it, which was designed as a counterweight to the corruption that existed before the Commission on College Basketball's recommendations, is a statement of just how opposed these key decision makers are to meaningful change. And you have to ask yourself, so what is Greg Sankey's beef? Why does he have such a monomaniacal focus on this IARP? And it really doesn't make much sense to me because this IARP, in terms of the work that it's actually done, the work product we've actually seen, isn't that much different from the old infractions process. And if the rationale were that it is simply unnecessary because it's duplicative, well, maybe 
But that's not what Psyche's saying here. He's saying that it's inefficient because it's taking too long. And there's zero evidence to support that theory. And I would also note too, that Psyche, he's talking about efficiency and all this stuff, but there's no discussion either about the IARP or about any changes that the Transformation Committee is going to recommend on infractions that talk about how much money is spent on this ridiculous process. You know, how much money is going into the black hole of infractions and enforcement. And the NCAA refuses to acknowledge that. And there's not a separate line item in the NCAA's Form 990 tax returns that tells you how much is going into that black hole. And Greg Sankey, quite frankly, doesn't really give a damn about how much money it costs because big-time football doesn't pay a penny for any of the infractions and enforcement overhead. All that money comes from March Madness revenue that's generated by elite Division I men's basketball players, and Sankey doesn't have to worry about taking a precious penny of his football revenue to underwrite the NCAA bureaucratic state. So it's really impossible to know what Sankey's true motivations are, but my best guess is that this really ties back into to this fundamental question about who gets to decide and the NCAA's historic reluctance to have anyone coming in and poking around the NCAA Power Five's business who might have some opinions that are inconsistent with the in-system status quo decision makers. Just as Greg Sankey and the Power Five and the NCAA don't want Congress or federal courts or state legislatures telling them what to do, they don't want any true independence under the NCAA umbrella in the NCAA regulatory process that could challenge any of this corrupt decision-making that's been going on for decades at the NCAA and has been disguised by all of these ridiculous bureaucratic components of the NCAA bureaucratic state and all these committees and subcommittees and the appearance of independence and the appearance of adhering to some unified set of principles. These decisions are being made and have been made really since the 1990s when the Power Five engaged in a grand takeover of NCAA governance at the voluntary regulatory level, then through autonomy in 2013-14 by segregating the Power Five interests from the rest of the NCAA, and then through this constitutional makeover and this transformation committee, which was a completion of that autonomy movement, through all of those movements, the NCAA and the Power Five have held very tightly to their star chamber decision-making, and they don't want anybody, even an entity like the IARP that is still under the thumb of the NCAA ultimately, and obviously because the NCAA just put it out of its misery. It just, it just eliminated it. So it was still under the NCAA umbrella, but within that IARP, there was some semblance of independence and you had decision makers there, I think, asking some questions about this infractions and enforcement process that the NCAA and its in-system star chamber decision makers don't want to answer. They just don't want to be bothered with it. So the Power Five now has control over infractions and enforcement under this new constitution. They don't want the IARP to come in and be poking around their business. But the process through which Greg Sankey got this done is really a problem. And it's so clever and it is so disguised. And again, you could go through the media center news items and you scroll through them and you would never in a million years know that this IARP issue was being worked behind the scenes as aggressively as it's been worked because it's all disguised. And then the NCAA can come in after the fact and say, well, wait a minute, if you go to that August 4th release, we, we mentioned the IARP and you go to that August 17th, 2022 release, well, may have been titled about transfers, but boy, we clearly talked about the IARP, but that just is 
proof of the misdirection because no reasonable person scrolling through that list of news items would ever conclude that there was an IARP issue lurking beneath the headlines that had nothing to do with the IARP. And as I start talking about actual work of this committee, there's some little nuggets there that suggest that there may be some pushback behind the scenes. And there's a sense that there there is a problem with transparency. There is a problem with true broad-based representation. But none of the people that, that have raised those concerns are speaking publicly. And that's part of this collegiality that could easily be mistaken for omerta among decision makers in higher education at the NCAA. With that, I'm going to close this thing out and I want to thank you for joining. It's always an honor and a privilege to have you and I hope to have you back for the next episode of the Big Amateurism Monologues. Take care.